From Bumble Australia and Shameless Media, this is Love Etc. When my love takes me home, it's one of five in a 30 mile zone. believe the age-old idea that before you fall in love with anyone else, you must first love yourself? And do you believe that you need to actually love your body rather than just accept it? Welcome to Love Etc. We're your hosts, Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, you're listening to Love Etc., a podcast by Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move. Today, we're talking about a different kind of love, body love. It was Caroline Caldwell who once said, in a society that profits off your self-doubt, liking yourself is a rebellious act. Today, we speak to three women who have had three very different experiences with their bodies. And through these conversations, we asked them, When was the moment the world told them their body was wrong? Is loving your body possible, let alone necessary? And how do you guys listening enter a new year where your body is something to appreciate, not admonish? We're starting today with Jess. You may recognize her voice. Jess Quinn lost a leg to cancer in 2001 and since then has dedicated much of her public life to being a diversity and inclusion advocate. This is the story of Jess and her body. Jess... What is your first memory of society telling you that your body was wrong? That is a great question. I don't know if I have a specific memory. I really struggle to figure out what in my life I've learned and or figured out in hindsight and what was kind of in the moment, I guess, and what was me telling myself things because of what I've observed and what was someone specifically telling me something. Um, And I think my change into, I guess, a different body was really abrupt. Um, Obviously, losing my leg, I kind of lived in a body that was normal to society standards, if you like, for eight years of my life. And then it was like, oh, now you're not. (laughs) So I went through so much of that trauma that I don't think I spent too much time looking at the world, if you like. But then I think I definitely got to a point where I hid away so much. I think I was fine for a couple of years. And then I was like, no, I'm going to hide away my leg and all of that kind of stuff. But there was no pivotal moment where someone said something to me and I kind of felt I needed to react like that. It was just almost a subconscious thing, which is almost scarier because it just showed that I had been brought up in a world which told me what normal was. Let's go to that time. So you went through all this at eight and then a few years pass and you really start to internalize some of the subliminal messages, I guess, society was telling you about bodies and disabilities and ableism. Being a teenager and going through puberty is tricky for anyone. Like that is such an awful time and confusing Mm -hmm. time for all of us. What was your relationship with your body like during that really turbulent stage of adolescence? Horrific is the short answer. It was horrific. And I look back now and I don't think I've known until I got older just how horrific it was. Like I'm doing a lot of reflecting at the moment for a project I'm working on. And as I think about it, I'm like, 
wow, the stuff that I did to hide my body is absolutely amazing. Like I remember going to parties, like it would be family functions or an auntie's birthday and there'd be all these strangers or whatever. And I specifically remember meeting new people who all knew about my story because they'd been told when I was sick through family members, but I would be standing kind of behind a piece of furniture purposely. Like I would have one leg just slightly to the side or have my body angled so that I could hide away. So there were all these little moments that at the time I was like, yeah, whatever. But now I'm like, wow. And I, my leg is a really, is really skinny from my amputation. And I would wake up every single morning before I had the prosthetic that I have now. And I would wrap t-shirts and socks and masking tape and sports bandages, like layers and layers around my leg each day, just to make it look like a thigh because everyone I knew had a thigh and I didn't have a thigh and I wanted to create one so that I could wear skinny jeans. So there were just all these little moments in my life that now I'm like, oh my goodness, I held myself back so much. And I would not go, I wouldn't go to the beach with friends. I wouldn't, I wouldn't live my life. And I remember one night I got super fed up. I was supposed to be going to a friend's like school theater show or something. And I just didn't go. I had a meltdown because I just, I just had this, this wall up where I couldn't just be myself and be okay with the fact that my body was different. And I remember getting ready for parties and we're all trying to impress some boy or something. And my girlfriends are starting to wear mini skirts and they're starting to wear high heels. And I didn't wear shorts or anything shorter than my knee for the first, I think, eight years. So until I was probably in my last year of high school. So I'm like trying to cover up, but also trying to look kind of cool, but I'm trying to wear something long. And then they're all wearing high heels and I'm feeling really ugly in my flat shoes because at the time sneakers weren't as cool as sneakers are now, thank goodness. So it was just this, yeah, constant. And I remember multiple occasions and I remember them so vividly where I was getting ready with friends and internally it was just building up and boiling inside of me to the point where I would fake a phone call with my mom that my sister was sick and I had to go home. Like I genuinely did that so many times just because it was easier for me to sit out of an occasion or an event or a party than it was for me to be myself within that environment. And I think it's just a process I had to go through. I, I cried myself to sleep literally for two years of my life. And most of it was because of how I looked, you know, I was asking why me, but I didn't, at the time, I didn't really care that I couldn't run a marathon. I just cared about how I looked. And um, eventually, I don't know how, but I decided that I just needed to get up and get on with it if I wanted to live my life, which I definitely did. So it was a it was a horrific time and something that I've realized in hindsight was even more horrific than I thought it was. I think one of the reasons that we really want to do this episode is because I think that society tells us, and often rightly so, that one of the cardinal rules of dating is that before you fall in love with someone else, you really must love yourself first. And I want to know how you feel about that, given you've grown up in a world that has actively tried to tell you, often through subliminal messaging, that you shouldn't love yourself. Hmm. Totally. Dating is an interesting one in my circumstance, I guess. And it's I've never been much of a data. I've kind of, I've always had this mindset that pretty much what you're saying, I've wanted to know who I am and what I want to do in my life. And I guess be a whole person before I kind of meet someone else that I can be kind of two holes with. I don't really agree with the other half kind of thing. I want to be my own person before I decide if I want to let someone in on that. And I guess I had a lot of things I needed to unpack within that. And it's been, yeah, an interesting world because there's one thing to let someone in in terms of, hi, this is me with shorts on. And it's another thing to be like, hey, this is me with no leg on that I never show anybody. But yeah, there's definitely a struggle in the sense of learning to love myself so that I can allow someone else to love me. And I think a lot of the times 
I didn't realize that that's why I was struggling in dating. I've often gone for the bad boys or the guys that don't treat you very well. And I think maybe that's me being like, I don't deserve this or I don't love myself fully enough to accept the kind of love that I actually deserve. And I I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's something that I've kind of been exploring at the moment because I wondered why I had these bad habits. So sometimes it's easier for me to push things away because I'm also a really like, I've got this. I only, I know my life inside out. I know how to deal with my leg. I don't need someone who's going to be like, oh, let me help you with this. I hate sympathy. So it always scared me to kind of let that love in, I guess. Did you realize yourself that you were going for this kind of person in the dating world or did you have someone like a friend or a parent or a loved one pointed out to you to be like, Jess, why do you keep going for the same kind of guy? Definitely both. I knew that I was, but I was like, it's just my type. Like, I can't help it. Um, I attract the bad boy. Yeah, I don't know. I'm also, I haven't dated, a, like I've dated and I, I always have, I love that you guys called it situationships. It's my favorite term I've ever come across because it, it was the one moment that I was like, finally, there's a word for what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> because my whole 20s has been situationships apart from one like long-term boyfriend I had when I was younger. I just give people the benefit of the doubt again and again and again. I'm like, oh, they might time it's fine they'll be fine they'll bounce back you know they're good people and then they prove you wrong every single time and so it definitely takes girlfriends and and family to be like okay these patterns are um are not great and then the flip side of that I've actually recently just started dating someone and he is the complete opposite of all of that and exactly what I need and it actually took me a really long time to, to kind of let it in because it was so different from how I was used to being treated but how I was treated before was actually wrong. But it took a while to adjust to what was right because I was so used to being not treated right, I guess. And I had to have conversations with those same girlfriends to be like, everything you're saying right now is stuff that you want. It just looks different because you're not used to it, you know? I I guess I want to ask you more about self-acceptance because you have just spoken about how puberty and the teenage years were horrific for you, particularly when you look back in hindsight. And you're now in this space where it really does appear like you are one of the more self-assured people that I follow and know online. And I know obviously everybody has their wonky days, but that definitely does, you know, that is what it appears like. So I want to know what has the process of self-acceptance been like for you? How have you kind of, dare I say, gone through that journey? (laughs) Yeah, it was um, such a fun process, but I do think it is something that you actually have to do and put your mind to doing. I don't think you can wake up one day and just be like, yeah, I feel great in my skin. And honestly, I don't all of the time, but I think what I've done, because I've reflected on this a lot, is instead of figuring out how to love myself and how to love my body and be, a, you know, look in the mirror and be like, oh, your cellulite or your curves or your weird backwards foot that you have is so amazing and I love every part of it. I've just let it not control me because I don't think it's realistic for me to look in the mirror and look at my leg that is so unusual and be like, I love that. That's the hottest leg I've ever seen. You know, I look at that leg and I'm like, like I'm living because I have that leg. Like I literally would not be alive had I not had my leg amputated and I'm able to do my life because of my prosthetic. So I think I just don't let the way I look control me. I don't spend hours looking in the mirror because once I start doing that, it's probably, I'm probably not going to leave the house, you know? So I think there is an element of self-acceptance and of self-love and of being okay in your body. But I think it's more important to let it not control you because especially as women throughout our life, our bodies are going to change so much. If you decide to have a baby, your body is going to change drastically. Your body changes hugely from being 20 to 30. Like your genes aren't supposed to fit 
at all of those stages in your life, you know? So if we're hung up, like if we get to this point where I love my body that I'm in right now, it's kind of unrealistic because tomorrow it's probably going to change or within the month it's going to change, you know? So I think for me, the best thing I did was learn to love my life and the body that gave me the ability to live that life opposed to looking in the mirror and being like, you've got gray legs, you know? Um, so that was my <laughs> journey of self-acceptance. Self and it kind of, yeah, it really worked for me because it was less about what my body looks like and more about what my body could do. What would you say to any young woman listening to this? Say she is facing an amputation or she, I don't know, has anything in her life right now that is stopping her from accepting herself or challenging her level of self-love. What would you say to her to start that journey that you've been on? So many things. Definitely my main message will be what I touched on before in terms of the best thing I think we can all do for ourselves is to love our body for what it can do and to find hobbies and find things that you love doing, whether it's cooking or tennis or art or whatever it is, find something in your life that you love and that what is what becomes important opposed to judging your body. But I think we've all gone through journeys where something has challenged our relationship with our body. And I think that's also okay. People assume because I talk about body image all the time that I have great body image. I don't always. I just, as I said, I just don't let it control me because I think that's more realistic. I also think which is something we all hear a lot but not comparing and it's so hard not to do but I do mass unfollows all the time on Instagram and I follow very few people because even if someone makes me feel good I still have we still have this ability in our mind to compare because we're looking at a photo and we've seen ourselves in that morning and even if we don't know we're doing it we've subconsciously compared so I think getting out of that mindset and knowing something I learned really quickly actually not really quick, recently I meant to say is that I grew up feeling really different and then it wasn't until I did this campaign and around wearing shorts that I, and I was with a group of models who all had legs but for some reason hadn't worn shorts in their life, I learned that we all grow up feeling different in some way and I think that really helped me a lot knowing that it's not just me and it's not just because I have a disability or I'm really obviously visually different. We all have insecurities and doubts and differences so I think really knowing that kind of helps in a weird way not that I want someone else not that it makes me feel good that someone else feels bad about their body but just knowing that it's part of just being a human but we don't have good days and yeah I think that's um that's something to remember for sure Coming up after the break, words from a body acceptance and fat positivity activist. But first, it's time for a Bumble break. Mish, after what was a wild 2020, it is not surprising that two out of three Bumble users feel a little more lonely and a little more anxious than usual. That's right, Zara, and it's something Bumble want to help their community with. 2020 turned so many of our worlds upside down and feeling flow and mental health impacts from the pandemic is absolutely normal, according to psychotherapist Dr. Lisa Henshaw. Bumble spoke to Dr. Henshaw about the feelings of anxiety and disconnection. She recommended that if you're feeling detached from the dating world, it is helpful to zero in on exactly what you're feeling worried about. That's right, Zara. Dr. Henshaw says the more explicit, the better. If you can identify and even write down your anxious thought, it can take some power away from it. Anxiety isn't logical. Just identifying the anxious thought externalizes it and helps to reduce its power. And of course, be kind to yourself. As much as we should practice compassion with one another, Dr. Henshaw says self-compassion is equally important, especially as we head into a new year when we are still feeling a bit shaken from the last. Download Bumble today and make the first move. One app, 
three modes, one mission. Now we're chatting to the powerhouse that is April Watson. Over the last year in particular, April has thoughtfully curated a space dedicated to body acceptance and fat positivity online under her moniker, The Bodzilla. April is a delight to follow on social media, so we thought who better to talk about the topsy-turvy road to body love. Here's April. April, we want to read to you a passage that you actually wrote on Instagram recently, if that is okay. You wrote, this girl was 10 years old when an adult she trusted, a teacher, told her your weight is a concern. In the corridor outside the classroom where she felt less and yet so much more than her classmates. Standing in the back row of school photographs with bigger boys who were encouraged to play rugby. Far away and hidden behind the slimmer girls that were never deterred from their plans to become actresses and models. Can you speak to what it's like growing up and being that girl? When I wrote that, I could I could picture it exactly in my mind. I'm looking out a wooden frame window onto the squares where we used to play handball and looking at this guy's face and just being like, I don't understand why we're having this conversation. Like I don't – and also thinking – probably not in such a mature way as I'm reflecting on it, but like, why are you talking to me about this? Like, where's, I need my mum. I felt really confused and kind of scared and intimidated as well, because I felt like I had to answer and be like, well, oh, this is why. I mean, the history behind my personal experience of being a, a fat kid actually started with, I have really bad asthma and I had a really bad episode where they put me on lots of steroid medication and I kind of went like, puffed right up full on, you know, from being very tall and always stocky, you know, the I love that word so much, uh, and then became this really big kid, like to the point where other kids would say to me, oh, how much do you weigh, like 80 kilos? And I remember being like, no, no, like, oh, like, I don't know, like 45. I think we all know I did not weigh 45 kilos. But also I had no concept of how obviously untrue that would be. So even at that age, lying about my weight because other people other kids, 11-year-olds, were like, you're so big. Look how big you are for like a year three or a year five or whatever. And I was like, oh, no, like I'm the tallest person in my family. Like feeling embarrassed all the time about existing and going to the canteen and being like, oh, actually, no, I'm not going to get anything because you didn't want people to see you eating and people who would play pranks and throw food and boys that would make like pig noises at you as you went past. Like, yeah, it was it was wild and not in a good way. Was this memory with the teacher one of your first memories of society telling you that your body was wrong or did it come much earlier than that? Like how young do you think you were fed these messages? Oh, it definitely wasn't the first time, but it was the first time I felt it from an adult who wasn't in my family. So it was almost like that. My the safety of being embarrassed only in front of my family had been now encroached upon. I come from a family of uh, well-fed kids and my I remember my grandfather taking me by the arm and squeezing the fat up a bit of my arm going, oh, you better lay off that ice cream. And that is like the notable quotable of the family. Like everybody's got a thing that they remember about each other. Oh, remember this time that Poppy said that? That's my line. That's my identifier. Oh, you better lay off the ice cream. And I even remember after my asthma was quite bad and going to the paediatrician's office and her asking me like, what did I want to do? And me saying that I wanted to lose weight. Around that time, what were doctors telling you? Like when you told the GP that, do you remember what she said back to you? 
she was like, oh, yes, well, that's good. Obviously, we want you, you know, to get back into exercising and swimming. And so she was trying, she was continuing to, I guess, feed that message to me, but also trying to reframe it, I think, into what she thought was a healthier kind mm. of pr- approach. So, mm. you know, oh, swimming's very good for asthma, blah, 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 and talking a lot about exercise, but also then talking about like, oh, you know, if you like treats, maybe you can swap them for like oranges and apples. So just, you know, it, that that I guess it was on brand for the type of messaging that generally uh, medical professionals were giving out around the time about swapping treats and all that kind of, you know, that kind of balance, 20, 20 minutes a day, three times a week mm-hmm. or whatever. But it, to me, it just sounded like you are too fat, you eat too much and you need to exercise more. But somehow that was compounded also in the fact that I didn't feel like I could physically do it because when I put on my PE clothes, people laughed at me. So I was like, I can't really win that one. You've spoken about growing up and going through that really tricky adolescent stage and realizing that the world didn't want to make space for your body or to cater to you. And you wrote once, I was 17 and the world was too small for me. The clothes you could buy made me feel like someone's nan. Did that kind of fencing off of fashion of brands and trends and clothes telling you that, you know, you weren't going to fit in them and they didn't cater to you, make you feel like you weren't allowed to enjoy your body and your appearance like other young women? Yes. And that's probably why most of the pictures that you see of me are of me wearing black because it's slimming and because it was the least embarrassing item. If if you're buying something from the Nana shop, something black looks a bit gothic and the craft had come out when I was in year 10. So that seemed kind of, you know, I could put on a bit of black eyeliner and be a sultry teen and try to fit in with the girls who were wearing clothes that they'd bought from normal normal shops. Um, Also growing up in a sort of regional area where we didn't have a lot of clothing stores. So even when plus size boutiques started to become a thing, that isn't something that's accessible to people who live where I, and I live here again now, it's not accessible. So at the time I felt, yeah, and my mum was trying to be supportive, but also was more about like, when you lose weight, you'll be able to buy those clothes and I'll buy them for you. So I'll encourage you to, to, you know, fit into the fashion, but also the means of doing that is to be healthier. I'm using air quotes that no one can see, uh, to be healthier so that you can fit into clothes, which, yeah, so that encouragement positive reinforcement, which just was more reinforcement of a message that was super unhealthy. What does all of this do growing up in this world that constantly tells you that you need to change or you need to lose weight to be accepted or lose weight to wear the cool, trendy clothes? What does that do to your sense of self as a young woman? I think it's a really, for me, it's a really big statement about the fact that you don't belong and therefore you start to do other things or behave in a way that sets you apart from people from the get-go. It's the, I make jokes about myself because my punchlines are better than yours. And it's making sure that you're the loudest person because you will, you won't fit in with the girls. Try to fit in with the boys. Be, you know, yell a lot, swear a lot, be aggressive, be all the things that they tell you that men are and women shouldn't be. And yeah, I guess being constantly told directly and indirectly that there's no room for you just made me kind of go, I'm going to take up space in the places where I can. So I'm going to try to excel at things that I'm not necessarily good at, but that I could do louder, bigger, more brashly than other people. And then that, of course, turns into the fact that you're a bit too loud and a bit too fat and a bit annoying and then feeling like no one likes you. 
I find this a really interesting lead into my next question because I feel like pop culture always tells us or like really pretty punchy quotes on Instagram always tell us that before you love someone else, you have to love yourself, right? And I'm interested in how you feel about that given you grew up in a world that actively tried to stop you from loving yourself. I actually would say that there's some truth in that because the only relationship I had prior to being married to my husband, who I obviously do love and feel am loved by, was a really not great relationship with somebody who didn't love me. They were a horrible, abusive person, uh, but I believe that's what I deserved because I didn't have self that self-love and that belief that my worth was higher than being treated badly for four and a half years. And so I think at the time I thought it was love and especially because someone that I was friends with was so supportive. Like it was almost like, oh, the fatties have found each other. That's so cute. Look at them. Reinforced, of course, by TV shows like that one that had um, Melissa McCarthy in it where it was literally that sort of love story between these two overweight people. And I think you go on to things like dating apps where the first response that someone will give you to rejection is to comment about your body, especially about your weight if you are living in a bigger body. So I think being able to love yourself is a little bit about being able to say, okay, you're a dickhead and the fact that I'm fat's got nothing to do with how awesome I am, but also being able to say I won't tolerate bad behavior from people even when I love them. So I think that was part of what the demise of my previous relationship was about the fact that I started to love myself more and be like, that's actually not okay, you know, and not accepting that. And nowadays, uh, if that person reaches out to me, being able to leave them on red feels good too. There's this brilliant quote that says, accepting yourself in a world that tells you not to is a rebellious act. And I want to know, what has the process of self-acceptance and self-love look like for you since you've left that really abusive relationship? I know it was so long ago, but it really does sound like that was kind of like the ashes and you really rose from that time in your life. Fake it till you make it is a really terrible and not great phrase. But in this case, quite useful because when you approach the world with bravado and you allow people to see that you are not afraid to love yourself, they suddenly come around to your way of thinking, even though you might be like secretly going, oh God, I'm so embarrassed. Uh, But (laughs) then they start to mirror that message back to you. And then you're like, oh, actually I was, I was right about that. And I think the more that we see and the more that we do, uh, especially in social media, talking about and platforming the voices of people who live in bodies that are not in the mainstream, that allows us to continue to have that message mirrored back to us. So when we're waking up in the morning going, oh, I feel yuck. I'm not, you know, if you've been inactive, like I have during COVID times, not a lot of getting out there and getting active, that kind of thing, waking up in the morning and feeling blah, but then also remembering that having a sleep in can be a genuine act of self-care. Being able to love yourself comes a little bit from simply refusing to believe it when you tell yourself something. So if you you hear your own mind say, you look so negative something, whatever, and say, no, I'm not listening to that, being able to almost, you know, shout down those voices. Anyone that looks at themselves and goes, oh, I could never be as confident, I'm going to, I succumbed to everything. I did Jenny Craig. I had weight loss surgery. I have had cycles of eating disorder behavior. 
I have been there and I have done that. And I'm not saying that you can suddenly wake up in the morning and go, oh, no, I feel great. I've decided that I'm not going to listen to diet culture anymore. Goodbye. I think that it's really important for people to know that even I, someone who is out there every day telling you to love yourself, sometimes I have to be like, you love yourself, you love yourself. I'm not really sure about this and, and just have to, as I said, fake it get through the day and have it reflected to me and um, my child and my husband and have them give me that love that I can't get from myself on that day. But it doesn't mean that that I'm not an advocate. It's just that I'm a real person like everyone else. Mm. And it's why I won't discount people who don't live in bigger bodies because eating disorders and diet culture is insidious and it's dangerous and it affects everyone, boys, girls, non-binary kids, everybody is affected by the messages that the media is putting out about which body's best. And it's bullshit. April, with every Love Etc. episode, we actually reach a lot of teenagers and we reach a lot of women in their early 20s. And we'd love to know if someone is listening to you speak right now and they're feeling like they are that 17-year-old girl that you spoke about in that Instagram post and they do feel like the world is telling them to change and telling them they're not deserving of love, what would you say to that teenager or that really young woman right now who's feeling stuck in that place? I would say that it always feels a little bit like everybody deserves more than you because that's the human condition. But let me assure you that whatever you reach for and whatever you really want for yourself, you deserve and you can give it to yourself. Take what you want from the world if you're just willing to reach out and grab it. How do you feel about yourself and your body right now as we speak? I feel good. I'm wearing bike pants which I never do but they were really cute and I really like them and I'm looking at myself and thinking you know what I just like that that advice that I've just given I can reach out for what I want because what I want in life is to make people feel better about themselves and when my dms are filling up with people who say this is so good I relate so much to that when I'm having a conversation with the two of you and think that someone might listen to it and go away feeling better about themselves I reached out and I took that and I'm going to keep reaching for things and I feel great about the body that I'm doing that in. Last but not least, we wanted to talk to Olivia Rogers. Olivia has been vocal about her eating disorder battle with her 160,000 Instagram followers for many years now, but it was upon interviewing Liv that we realised the thread connecting these three women's stories together. For Liv, like so many of us, the seed of body hatred was planted when she was just a young child. Liv, what was your first memory of feeling like your body was wrong in some way? Mm, that's a really good question. It was pretty early on. I I know at a really young age, I never had an issue with my body. It's just not something I thought about. Like my body was just the thing that got me around and, you know, the thing that allowed me to paint and play with my friends. And I remember when I was about 10 or 11, we were at this family barbecue at a friend's house and we were sitting by the pool And I would always wear a rash top because I didn't want to show any skin. I hated summer for that reason, that I'd have to get into swimwear and and walk around and just the fear that, you know, people would look at my my legs rubbing together or, you know, my bum wobbling or whatever it was. And I was already so conscious of it and just I'd try to sort of shrink into myself and, you know, get to the pool and get in as quickly as I could so that people weren't looking at me. And I sat on the edge of the pool with my rash top and I remember all of my rash tops would be really stretched because I would grab it at the tummy and like pull it out so that it wouldn't cling to me 
And this boy, this family friend who was such a pest and a bully was like, oh, look at that beached whale. And I was thinking, God, I hope that's not about me because I wasn't looking at him. I just heard it and I thought, oh, if I ignore it, then he'll stop. And then he said, oi, Liv, I'm talking to you. You look like a beached whale. And, oh, I think my heart broke. I was just so, so upset. Oh, it's going to make me teary now. (laughs) Sorry, I did not expect that to upset me. I think that, you know, it just breaks my heart thinking of kids that get that kind of treatment and then it does really cause these severe issues with food and eating and and that really really stuck with me because I thought okay well he's just confirmed what I think about myself like I did already feel like I was different and I was wrong and my body wasn't good enough and then he told me that. Does it surprise you a little bit how much those comments still affect you today? Yeah I did not think I would just cry then. I think it's sort of thinking back to just how sad I was at that age. Like I was such a sad, well, I wasn't a teenager, what, pre-teens. I was just such an uncomfortable and unhappy girl. And that's what makes me sad, I think. And, yeah, just thinking about that happening to, to children around that same age, like it's such a vulnerable time and it's something that does really stay with you and I think that those years really shape your personality of course but they also shape your relationship with yourself and your relationship with your body and I think comments like that and those kind of experiences were a big part of that and my relationship with my body was affected then and I don't think that ever went away through my teens and early adulthood. So when did it become unhealthy and what was kind of the journey that you realized you were on when it was becoming unhealthy? It was around the time that I was 17. I'd lost a bit of weight by that point. I think then around that same time, I was approached by a modeling agency. And that was definitely the catalyst for my issues around eating and food because I felt really flattered that they contacted me, but just so, I don't know, it was kind of like an out-of-body experience because I'm like, why would they contact me? Like, I'm definitely not skinny enough. And that was my first thought. I didn't think I was pretty enough. I didn't think I was skinny enough. And I didn't think I looked anything like models that I had seen in magazines and and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was a weird feeling. But that instantly made me think when I would go to, say, eat some chocolate that I would have usually had and not really thought that much about it, I started thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't have that. If I'm going to do this, then maybe I shouldn't have that chocolate and maybe I shouldn't have that burger and So I I remember then starting to restrict a few things. I don't know, maybe a year after that, the modeling agency said they really wanted me to give it a proper crack. And to do that, I had to lose weight. So that's where it all sort of rapidly went downhill. What does the process of self-acceptance look like? Like getting to a point where you start to not only stop restricting what you're eating, but also start to really appreciate your body for what it does rather than, I guess, what it looks like. It was a very, very slow process. I wish I could say that it was fast and that there is like a quick fix because it is something that I think so many of us want and so many of us struggle with and you want to just be able to like read a book or listen to a podcast and be like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to accept my body and I'm going to love my body and I'm going to be okay with what I see in the mirror. But unfortunately, it isn't that easy. It does take a lot of time and work and therapy. (laughs) I, well, for me anyway, I did have my eating disorder for about six years. So 
it started off as severe restrictive eating and over-exercising and then I was bulimic. So there was this cycle of binging and purging and, and that was very linked to what you said about there being good and bad foods. That was the first step though was coming to a point where you see food as all good or as all neutral because it really is just fuel for your body and that's what it's there for and we're so lucky to have such an abundance of food and literally have anything we want at our fingertips. I think although that's one of the tricky things too is that I think when you're restricting food you have this constant guilt that you know that you should be eating it because you can but it's a really complex feeling around that but mm-hmm. but yeah I think for me it was it was healing my relationship with food before healing my relationship with my body because I don't think you can have a good relationship with your body if you have a damaged relationship with food. So mm. I started practicing mindful eating, really being grateful for the food that I have and sitting down, taking the time to to eat it and enjoy it and never rush around my meals. And then also eat what I feel like. So I found that, you know, by restricting the things that and, and cutting out things that I really liked, when I did have a bit of it, I couldn't stop myself. That's when I would binge because I was like, oh, well, I really like this. And then suddenly, you know, you sort of lose control. Whereas if I feel like having something now, I'm going to have it, I'm going to sit down and enjoy it. But yeah, that took a really long time. But I think Mm. it is healing that relationship with food that then led to healing my relationship with my body. And and that is something I'm still working on. I'm not going to say now that like I get up every day and look in the mirror and I'm like, cool. I'm happy with what I see. I feel good about myself. But I think for me, it's been really changing the language that I use when I do look in the mirror or when I talk to myself, you know, every single day, like every, any minute that I have a slightly negative thought start to creep in, I just have to stop it and and change it. And yeah, it is, it is an ongoing process, but one that is really, really worthwhile. I mean, it's so interesting that you touched on psychologists and therapy earlier in this chat, because that's something we wanted to ask you about. Can you speak to how going to therapy and seeing a psychologist has helped you recover? Yeah, for sure. I think it's something that I do at least once a month, if not once a fortnight. It depends on what's going on in my life. I actually have a session after this today, Um, (laughs) but it has been just amazing. I I literally wouldn't be here without it. I think there's so many things that you can dissect and start to understand. I think the problem with one of the problems with eating disorders and I guess mental health issues in general, anxiety being something that I still struggle with, is that you feel like, for one, that you're the only person that's going through what you're going through. You feel like you're crazy. You feel like the thoughts that you have are so unreasonable, but you can't tame them. There are so many emotions around that and so many feelings around that and you feel so alone and I think talking to a professional and having them explain to you why you feel the way you feel and why you have those certain behaviors and thoughts just making sense of it I think has helped me the most because I don't feel crazy and I don't feel alone and I don't I know for a fact that I'm definitely not the only person who goes through or has been through something like that and yeah I think it's just knowing that psychology is science knowing that there's actual science behind what is going on in your head is is comforting in a strange way 
What would you say to any young woman listening to this who feels like their body is wrong and they want so badly to love it? Well, you know what? Not even love it. Just feel like neutral towards it. How would they start doing that? I think it comes down to changing your own narrative and the language that you use. When you look in the mirror or when you're not even looking in the mirror, when you're just going for a walk or when you're in your own head in whatever moment it may be, I feel those thoughts creeping back in when I'm doing all sorts of things. It's not just when you're looking in the mirror. So I think it's just a constant effort to to change the negative thoughts into not necessarily positive thoughts because that can be really, really hard. I don't think you should be expecting to flip them instantly. You know, you're not going to say, I go from saying I hate my legs to suddenly saying I love my legs so much. But I think focusing on the things that you do love and the things that you do appreciate and being grateful for that is something that really helps. And I think also knowing that your worth is not related to your weight and it's not related to your appearance in any way, shape or form. So focusing on the things that you love about yourself. So it literally might have nothing to do with how you look. You could look in the mirror and be like, okay, I don't like how my tummy looks today. But then you can think, but I'm really funny and I'm really vibrant and I am really smart and I have lots of people in my life who love me and focusing on those important things, the things that actually do matter rather than maybe your tummy's a bit wobbly, but who really cares? Like it actually doesn't matter. I think going through what I went through with my eating disorder and I got to the skinniest I have ever been and I hope ever will be because I was so unwell. But I know for a fact that happiness is not is not linked to your size. I was the unhappiest when I was at my skinniest. So I think knowing that and reminding yourself of that is also really important. So this time of the year, you know, coming into summer, when everybody's getting bikinis out and all of the advertising is around bikini bodies and is so damaging, I think it's one of the most important times to remember that you are worth more than your weight and that if you do get to a certain size, it's not going to change how you feel about yourself. It's something that you need to be working on internally, which has nothing to do with how you look. You've been listening to Love Etc., a production from Shameless Media. To support the show, please click subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify. Sign up to Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move towards friendship, professional and romantic relationships. We will see you guys next Friday.